Good morning. There was a wealthy couple that had decided to employ a chauffeur, so they sent out an advertisement and they had several candidates that had qualified. They got it down to the final four and they decided that they would interview these applicants in person. And so the woman at home began to interview the pro through the interview process and she took out these four gentlemen out to the balcony of her home pointed to their very narrow driveway that had a brick wall lining up both sides of it, pointed to the driveway and asked the first gentleman and said, how close do you think you can get our car to that wall? And he looked at the wall and he thought for a second and he said, I could probably get it within a foot without scratching it or denting it or causing any damage. She said, okay, how about the second guy? Second guy stood there, listened to the first answer, looked down there and said, I could get it within six inches. Said, okay. Third guy looked down and said, well, you know what, I can get that thing within three inches. There's no question about it in my mind. I can get my, that car within three inches of that brick wall. So the fourth and final applicant came out, took a look at the wall, took a look at the car, heard everything up to that point and said, you know what, I believe it'd be my responsibility to stay as far away from that wall as possible in any other dangerous situation that we would come across. And if I was your chauffeur, that's exactly what I'd do. So who do you think got the job? <laughs> Number four got the job. Why did he get the job? Because he realized that his responsibility as their driver was to avoid dangerous situations at all costs. You know, and I like that story because for some of us, especially in marriage, I believe that it's our responsibility to avoid danger at all costs. And um, certainly... As far as marriage is concerned, that's a wise thing to do. And also, even if you're a single person and you're listening, it's a wise thing to do, even in your life as a single, to avoid danger at all costs. And so what I want to talk a little bit about today is the fact that, you know, I really believe that, that a man or a woman who jeopardizes his or her family, her marriage, his friendships, career, job, and everything to play with sexual fire is at best acting pretty stupidly and the same is true if you're single in that particular area of your life and I got to ask some questions as we get started and you have to wonder in today's day and age why do some of us continue to play with sexual fire and not recognize how dangerous it really is is it because of the lack of information apparently people would believe that it's just the lack of information that's causing the problem because there's an aware there's awareness programs all over the place colleges, high schools, uh, turn on the television, we're becoming more and more aware and gaining more and more knowledge about how dangerous it is in that particular area of life. Is it a lack of understanding the consequences? I don't believe so. I think we've got more information than we've ever had, and it's more public and visible than it's ever been, in, at least in the history of our country. And it's not a matter of understanding what the consequences are. I, I just wonder sometimes if maybe it's the third option here, and that is that some of us don't really care what the information is. We don't care what the evidence is. We don't care what the facts are. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to do it when we want to do it. And that's really what it all boils down to. You know, it's not a lack of information. It's not a lack of understanding. It's simply a lack of applying what we hear into everyday life. A little over a week ago, my wife and I were given an early morning wake-up call from a friend who was at the time living in Pennsylvania and she was sitting and comforting a friend of hers whose husband had just come home 
the night before, and they were up all night, her and her friend, and, and, and consoling one another and going through all different scenarios. But her husband had just come home the night before, and after eight years of marriage, decided that he didn't want to be married anymore. And so he approached this friend of ours friend and said, you know what, uh, I don't want to be married anymore. And she said, well, I don't understand what's going on. He said, well, to be completely honest with you, I found someone else. And for the last six months, I've been seeing her, and I've fallen madly in love with her. And uh, you know what, I, I'm sorry, um, but I've already made up my mind. No communication about it. No counseling. No, let's work this out. No, we got some problems. Uh, no, I've already made up my mind, and this is what I'm going to do. So there's no hope, and there's no future, and you just got to deal with it. And so she called us and wanted to know, how do you confront, you know, how do you confront what I call sexual misconduct? And how do you do it in a way that the other person will at least listen to something that you have to say? It's a difficult problem because this story, unfortunately, is being played out over and over again all around us. And when I use the term sexual misconduct, I think it's important that we recognize that it's just not contained to extramarital affairs, but it has to do with a, a variety of sexual behavior. And it's important as we go through this to recognize the fact that sexual misconduct by definition, my definition would be any conduct that deviates from an acceptable standard. The problem that we have is trying to define what that standard is. You know, what standard are we going to compare behavior to? And that's where the difficulty comes in. And so, is there a moral standard, for example, that is greater than our own individual standards? Or is there a standard that is, if it's good for you, then that's your standard and that's what you live by? And, you know, and it's like the things that you hear all the time. Well, you know what? Well, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. If that's your standard and you live by it and you stick to it and you're consistent, then that's acceptable. That's okay. We hear that all the time. What's interesting as we go through it, we have to ask a very simple question. And that is when we're looking at acceptable standards, we have to start to realize is, is there a standard that's acceptable to an individual that may not be acceptable to a group or to society? The obvious answer is, well, of course there is. You may have a standard that says, I don't really care if this is a school zone. I'm going to drive 100 miles an hour through the school zone. And your standard may be acceptable to you, but it violates a greater standard, which is the safety of others. And as a result, you'll get a ticket if there's a policeman there who will find that you're violating that standard, correct? So I just want you to simply think through some things with me because it's amazing to me how simple logic breaks down when we're in the middle of a situation where we're not thinking about any standards and we're not thinking about anybody else. For example, if the majority of people agree that something should be done, does that necessarily make it right? And the obvious answer is no, because we've seen it throughout human history where the majority of people, for example, in Nazi Germany agreed and aligned themselves to Hitler's way of thinking, who decided that Jewish people were not to be considered as persons, and therefore he executed and exterminated six million or more Jewish people because he didn't believe that Jews should have the right to live. And so does that, you see, just because the majority of people agree that something should be done, is there a greater standard even that, that goes beyond that that would be violated by applying that? And the obvious answer is yes. We need to recognize that and understand it because we fail to realize that there are some self-evident truths. We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
what? Universal truths that are observable by all people. You can sit and you can look at them, you can observe them. They're self-evident. They don't even need an explanation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by whom? Their creator, right? With certain unalienable rights. And that was the argument that was used as the Bill of Rights were drafted up that we looked at when we looked at what was going on in our country and we looked at the enslavement of certain peoples by a majority of people who thought, well, this minority of people deserve no rights. But there are certain unalienable rights that are endowed by our Creator that are observable, they're self-evident, and you can't get away from that. And we need to recognize that. So in order to recognize any danger with, quote, sexual fire, we must first of all recognize that there are moral truths or laws that go beyond our own individual standards. There are truths or laws that have been given to us to govern all of human behavior. And as God's moral laws or codes are clearly established, and we'll look at some of those, it's easy to see that, you know what, the only acceptable sexual conduct is to be expressed between a husband who is male and a wife who is female. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it, 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 there was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you didn't even have to explain what that meant. But today you do. Why? Because we've got people say, well, as long, well, as long as it's monogamous and as long as we get married, then that makes it all right. Well, we need to get back to some basis. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, God says, because of immoralities or our desire to conduct ourselves sexually in ways that aren't right before God, he says that each man should have his own woman or wife and each woman should have her own husband, a man, and what? And the two of them should meet one another's needs within the confines and the protections of marriage and God sanctifies that, sets it apart and says that's good stuff. So when we're confronting sexual misconduct, we need to understand that... All behavior, sexual behavior, outside of what was just defined, a husband and wife within marriage, any other behavior outside of that is wrong sexual conduct. Simple. End of conversation, that's it. But it's hard for a lot of us to agree to that. See, sexual misconduct as defined by God and found in the Bible would include things as fornication, which is defined as having sex outside of marriage by people that are single. It would include adultery, where one or more, one or both partners are married to someone else having sexual relationships with someone other than their spouse. It includes homosexuality and lesbianism, which is a man having sex with a man and a woman having sex with a woman. It would include incest, family relationships. It would include rape. It includes bestiality, having sex with an animal. See, all of those things, it's important to understand that God sets the standard, and it's a matter of authority. See, when your boss, or if you work for a company and they have company policies, they can set the policy under which you must align yourself if you want to continue to be employed in that particular company. My partner and I set the policies for our company. These are the policies that we want to govern our business by. The people that work for us either agree to them or they don't agree to them. Now, it's interesting in our case, we can't have company policies that would violate, for example, state or local laws. We can't set up a policy that's going to violate a state law, but our policies can be within those laws. A state can't set up a policy that would violate federal law. And so there's always a matter of checks and balance. 
When I went to school and I got my degree in criminal justice, one of the things that we were made aware of over and over again were the, were the different branches of our government. There was a legislative branch that would enact laws. They were to represent to some degree what the majority of people believed, and that is it's dangerous to drive 100 miles an hour in a school zone, so we're going to enact certain laws to protect our children. And so they would enact those laws. The executive branch of the government would then be in a position to enforce those laws. We have law enforcement is what it's called to enforce the laws that were already enacted by our legislature. And once those laws are enforced, then you've got a judicial branch of government who would then interpret that law or interpret the spirit of that law to decide whether or not that person had violated that law and is guilty of breaking that law. And so you would have these three branches of government that would interact with and often against one another, and there's a real healthy tension there. And we see it often as we look at cases that are brought before our judicial system and the real struggle that takes place. But, there, but what I'm trying to get across is, in God's case, there's no greater authority, and there's nobody that can go over his head, and there's no one that can reverse a lower court, or no, no one that can reverse something that was enforced. You don't have a judicial branch that says, you know what, we don't like the way you enforced that law, so we're throwing it out and, and letting this person go. And so we've got this healthy struggle in our country in trying to... to to um, implement our laws, but in God's case, you know what? He is all three branches of the government. He enacts the laws, he enforces the laws, and he also interprets the laws and makes sure that what is going on would either violate the, the intent of the law or whatever, but he's everything. And there's no one that can go over his head and you can't do anything about it. So what I'm trying to get across is in order to properly to, to uh, confront sexual misconduct, first of all, you've got to understand that there, are, there is proper conduct and there is, there is improper conduct. There is a right way to conduct yourself in this area of our life, and there's a wrong way. And so, please remember as we go through this that all that I am, I'm like a policeman friend of mine. All that I do is enforce the laws or let you know what they are. You know, and that's really what it all boils down to. The Bible says that all Scripture, everything is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, man or woman of God, may be adequately equipped to do the good work that we're here to do. You follow that? So it's all good stuff. So it's a matter of instruction. It's understanding what God says is right or wrong. And so, you know, it's kind of like this is the way that it is. And to deal with it, there's one important fact that you have to keep in mind. There's nothing more difficult. Now stop and think about this. And to make, let's make it a little more personal. Raise your hand if, let me go through the whole scenario. Raise your hand if you know of someone who's ever had an extramarital affair. Raise your hand if you know of someone that's single that's having sex outside of marriage. Um, and you know what, we just leave it at those two. You know, we don't need to know about rape and incest and all the rest of the stuff, but if, if you know of anyone that has ever been guilty of that type of misconduct, raise your hand. Oh, everyone. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows of someone. Not everyone's guilty of it, but everyone knows of someone. I've got to make sure I clarify that. All right, well, and, and, and here's why this is important to recognize. Because all of us must come to a point where we're going to have to deal with it in our life. It's going to be a family member. It's going to be a close friend. It's going to be somebody at church. It's going to be somebody you work with. It's going to be... I mean, we're all going to run into it. 
And it's important to recognize how to deal with it. I appreciate the fact that our friend called and said, you know what, I'm not real sure how to deal with this, and I don't want to proceed in a direction that could be the wrong way to handle it. And I respect that, and I understand that, because anyone that recognizes how difficult these situations are, don't just rush in and start giving your opinion, because it always works to your disadvantage in the long run. So the first thing is, before we get to some principles to apply, I want you to understand something that most people that go to church don't understand. And that's why we've got to start right here. Sexual immorality, sexual misconduct, doing things that are wrong sexually is consistent with what God calls a sin nature. It's consistent with a sin nature. Now, it needs to be explained and we need to understand it, but it's critical that we do. Because if you look at Galatians 5.19, this is what he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I mean, they're evident. They're external. We can all see it. We can all observe it. We can view it. I mean, there's nothing hidden about it. There's sexual immorality, which we just talked about. There's impurity and debauchery. There's idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and dissensions and factions. And all these things are evident and we can see it. And as we go down through it to define it, sexual immorality we get uh, is from a Greek word, porneia, which we get our word pornography from. And it says that, you know, it's obvious. We can see it. There's all forms of sexual misconduct, which we've already discussed. It doesn't, it's not hard to see someone that's living with somebody outside of marriage that are having sex in our culture, in our society, in our day and age. It's, 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 you see it on television. You see it in, in, on programs. You see it in the movie. You see it at work. You see it everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's become almost a natural thing where, hey, well, before we get married, we might as well live together. We need to make sure that we're compatible. We need to make sure that we're getting along. We need to make sure whatever it is, all the logic is there and the rationalization, but that's the kind of stuff that's happening. And we see it all the time. We see people that are having extramarital affairs, and we see all that goes along with that, and we, we, we need to confront that. We need to try to understand what's going on and do it in a way that, that we're going to be able to make some progress with people. We see that on a regular basis. Impurity refers to moral uncleanness in thought, word, and deed. Debauchery or sensuality is an open, shameless, brazen display of these sins, which is interesting. An open, shameless display of these sins. It, it's kind of like in, in our culture, who's to say that having sex outside of marriage is wrong? I mean, who are you to tell me that? That's kind of puritanical, isn't it? I mean, this is, the, you know, this is the 90s, man. Don't you understand? This is the way things are. This is the way we do things nowadays. I mean, hey, get out of the closet. You know what I mean? I mean, where have where you been? And it's kind of like, don't you understand? This is the new way to think. God says nothing new about it. I mean, the, the, the evidence or the, the, the sin nature is evident. There's a brazen display of it. Hey, we're living together and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, what do you do when you're a parent that has a child that says that's what it's going to be? How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? What do you say to them? I mean, those are tough, real issues. And what do you do when we live in a culture and a society today that says, hey, homosexuality, hey, you know what? It's acceptable. Let's recognize those marriages. Let's recognize this activity. Let's give them benefits and health care and all the rest of the stuff. I mean, let's recognize that because, hey, this is the 90s, man. And you see it, and you see them walking down the street, and you're holding hands. Uh, Lynn and I were in San Francisco this past year when we went up and did a deal for the Rams and the 49er thing and went to Sausalito, and we were over there just walking around a little artsy, fartsy place, <laughs> whatever, you know. <laughs> kind of like, you know, I was thinking like she was, and she was into it, and we are walking around and looking at stuff. I didn't know what I was looking at, but she seemed to be having fun. So... And then, and then as she was looking at more stuff that I didn't understand anything she was looking at, I was sitting on the bench watching people walk by. 
you know, and you know how you do that. We all do that. But, but, but it was amazing to me in that particular area. I mean, you got homosexuals walking down the street, holding hands, hugging each other, doing whatever they want to do. It's just a brazen display of what God says is wrong behavior. An open, shameless display. And in fact, if anything, you know, more and more of it's being encouraged to, hey, come out of the closet and take a stand and be visible and be vocal and don't be ashamed of what you're doing. Interesting. And it's a real struggle because as we look at all these things, what God is saying is that sexual immorality is consistent with the sin nature. Sensuality. Openly flaunted in our society. You know, it's interesting. Fortunately, rape and incest and bestiality haven't caught on yet as being something that's openly embraced by our society. But stop and think about that. What people don't seem to realize is that God puts all of that behavior in the same category. And yet some of that category we set aside as being not as bad as the other stuff that's going on. Two single people having sex, hey, you know, as long as they're doing it safely, as long as they love each other, as long as they may get married, as long as they're committed to each other, as long as they're monogamous, as long as whatever, you know, oh, okay, we can justify that. Two homosexuals, as long as they're monogamous, as long as they're having safe sex, and as long as they're committed to each other, and as long as they're monogamous, and as long as all this stuff, oh, well, maybe we're starting to embrace that. Rape, ah, not yet. Having sex with animals, oof, not yet. Oh, uh, incest, now, nah, not yet. But when? How soon? See, having lost, Ephesians 4, 19 says, having lost all sensitivity. Sensitivity, a conscience that God gives every human being that says, hey, some behavior is right and some behavior is wrong and you don't even have to know what the laws are and you don't have to know what the Bible says and you don't have to know anything, but in your heart you know some things are right and some things are wrong. It's a conscience that God gives every one of us to know the difference between right and wrong. But there's a point that comes in all of our lives where we've lost that sensitivity and we have given ourselves over to sensuality, which is just pleasing ourselves physically, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. It's insatiable. So what God is trying to say and what's important for us to realize is this. When you're dealing and confronting someone that is behaving from a sexual standpoint, in a way that violates God's standards or principles, the first thing that you need to come to recognize is, does this person even know the difference between right or wrong? Is this person even sensitive to the fact that there is a moral code that's greater than an individual code? Do they recognize the fact that this is wrong behavior? See, and when you're dealing with them, the first thing that you have to know, and the first thing that I asked the person that called me said was, where is this guy coming from? I mean, where is he coming from spiritually? It's like, what do you mean? What I mean is, in simple terms, is he a Christian or not a Christian? And now we need to define that. See, what God is saying is the law, God's standards, are used by God to help each one of us recognize whether or not we line up to what God says is right or wrong. Have we ever been angry? Have we ever lied? Have we ever had sexual activity that's wrong before God? Have we ever done any of these things? And you go, well, yeah, but, well, yeah, see, here's the problem in your life. You're born with a nature that's in opposition to God. The Bible says through Adam, sin entered the world. When God said you had a choice, Adam, and you can do what you want to do, but I'm telling you, you can't do this. If you do this, you will die spiritually if you eat of this fruit. And Adam said, no, nah, that can't be, and he ate the fruit, and he died spiritually. The Bible says through that one act that sin entered into the world, that you and I are born with a congenital birth defect. It's called a sin nature in opposition to God. 
We want to do what God tells us not to do. That's exactly what we want to do. And who's he to tell us what's right and wrong? So we're in opposition to God. And so what we need to recognize is the Bible says for the wages or the consequences of that sin in our life is spiritual death. We're spiritually dead before God. What we need to do is we need to understand that we're spiritually dead. And the way that God helps us to see it is he says, I have a standard and you fall short of that standard. For all have sinned and fall short, what, of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So God sets a standard and says, Chuck, in order for you to get to heaven, you've got to live up to the standard. And I look at the standard and say, there's no way possible that I can live up to that standard because that standard is perfection. You're telling me that I've got to be perfect to get to heaven. And I'm telling you, you should grade on a curve, and that's not a fair way to do things. Because while I'm not perfect, I'm not all that bad. But he's saying, but you don't understand, I'm the one that set the rules. Give me an illustration. It's like a teacher that says, the only way that you can pass my class is you've got to get a perfect score on this test. And you sit down and you look at the test and you go, there's no way in the world I'm going to ace this test. There are things on here that I don't understand. There are things on here that we never even discussed. There are things on here that there's no way in the world, and I could study all that I wanted. I could spend as much time working for the rest of my life to get the answers, and I'm not going to know it. That's not fair. But the teacher says to you, but you know what? I know you can't pass the test. I just gave you the test so you can look at what you need to, be, to do in order to pass, and you now know there's no way in the world you can do it on your own. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to take the test, I'll pass the test, I'll get a perfect grade, and all you've got to do is believe that I took the test and passed it for you, and then I'll, I'll pass you. And in God's case, he's saying, and I'll let you be forgiven of sin, I'll forgive you, and I'll also let you come and spend eternity with me in heaven. Who wouldn't want a teacher like that? It's good enough for me. But you know what, though? Not in the world we live in. God says, hey, all you got to do is recognize the fact you can't get to heaven on your own. You can't work hard enough. You can't study long enough. You can't write enough extra credit, extracurricular things. In order for you to get to heaven, you got to believe that I sent Jesus Christ for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose three days later for you to demonstrate he is who I say that he is. And if you believe that, that's sufficient for it's by my grace you'll be saved through faith and nothing else. It's a gift from me, not so that any of you ever boast. You understand what's going on here? It's critical that we recognize when we're dealing with the misconduct of others, whether it's in their sexual life or any other area of life, that we use it as an opportunity to help them to see that they fall short of the standard of God. God says that his laws are a standard or a tutor, a teacher, to lead us to Jesus Christ. What must we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why am I taking so much time to explain this to you? Because too many of us have lost sight of this reality, and we're trying to deal with people who cannot free themselves from behavior patterns and a lifestyle that's consistent with their nature because they sin because they're sinners, and they're not sinners because they sin. They just do what comes naturally. It's the most natural thing in the world to want to please yourself sexually. With somebody else or someone else, whether it's you're single or married or not, I mean, that's a natural act, and that's why it's consistent. 
And we need to recognize when we're dealing with a person, the first thing you got to understand is, hey, is this person a Christian or not a Christian? Has this person ever believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins? Have they ever received him as Lord and Savior? Have they ever been, according to the Bible, born again or regenerated by the Spirit of God? Has God shown his grace on this person so that they become a child of God and now they can, they can live a life that's pleasing to God because the Spirit of God lives within them and they are freed from their sin and sinful lifestyle and patterns and habits that they can't free themselves from any other way? See, that's the first place that we have to start because... To tell a person you need to stop living with their boyfriend or girlfriend or they need to stop having sex with somebody other than their spouse or they need to stop doing this, that, and the other thing, they may say, well, you know what? I don't see any reason to. And don't lay your guilt trip on me, man. You old stuffy coot, you. See, and that's what we're dealing with and we need to recognize that. How do you deal with it? How have you dealt with it in the past? I'll guarantee you that if you forget this, then you're not getting anywhere with anybody. Say, man, this is great news you're living together. Man, it's great news you're having an affair. It's great news you're doing this, that, and the other thing. You can't control your temper. This is great news. Why? Because you realize you can't control it. You realize you can't stop it. And God's yelling to you, you know what? You need forgiveness. Oh. Now, here's the problem. What do we do with a person who has received Christ as Savior... They're a child of God according to God's definition. They've been born again, whatever you want to say. They've accepted Christ. They've accepted God's provision for their sins. God demonstrates love while we're still sinners. He sent Christ to die for us. We accept that. We believe that. And we're born again. We're a child of God. Does that necessarily mean that we're always going to do the right thing? Unfortunately not. Wouldn't it be the greatest thing in the world that when you receive Christ, that every old habit and every bad habit and lifestyle that you had before was just done away with and you never even thought about doing it again but that's not the way it is that's why Romans 7 it says man I'm torn I want to do what's right but I, I'm not doing what's right I know the right thing and that's why Ephesians 4 20 says but you know what you didn't learn Christ this way you need to live like you know how you're supposed to live now and God will give you the spirit of God and the power of God to be able to do that if you choose to live a lifestyle that's pleasing to God so here's five principles we need to remember when we're dealing with sexual misconduct, five things you need to remember. Number one, recognize your own weakness. Recognize your own weakness. Man, this is so critical because the place to begin is with our, within our own heart. There are too many of us who are judgmental, too many of us that are mean-spirited. There are too many of us who think that, how could you do something like that? What's wrong with you? That's sick. That's disgusting. That grosses me out. I mean, that's just, uh, you know what, you're not even, they're not even worthy of living anymore. I mean, there's so many of us that are so judgmental and critical when it comes to how other people live that God says if you want to have an entrance into their life, if you want to be able to be able to relate to them, you need to recognize, you know what, but by the grace of God, and I know we've heard this phrase before, but please listen to it like it's the first time you've ever heard it, but by the grace of God, that would be me. You understand that? But by the grace of God, that could be me. That could be me struggling with homosexuality. That could be me struggling with adultery. That could be me struggling with having sex outside of marriage. But by the grace of God, you know what? That could be me, and I understand what you're going through, man. Sir, ma'am, I understand the struggle that you're going through because I know what it's like to struggle doing things that, you know what, I just don't want to do. Matthew 26, 41, be on the alert and pray, man. Keep watching because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. 
we're still trapped in these bodies, you know, these bodies of decay that want to do what's wrong before God, though God's given us a new spirit and has woken us up and said, hey, you're alive now. You can know the difference. You can live a, a different life. You're free from that behavior if you choose to go ahead and live that way, but you're still struggling with it, aren't you? See, we need to recognize that. You know, I commend our friend because this is what she said when she called. She said, Chuck, I want to do the right thing because right now I am so angry with him. Right now, I hate him for what he's done to her. Right now, I'm filled with resentment. But I want to do what's right. Man, and who can't relate to that? Right now, I'm just so angry with her that she's living with her boyfriend. So angry with him because he, he was cheating on his wife. I'm so angry with him because he's chosen this homosexual lifestyle. I'm just angry! And I'll tell you this, until you recognize your own weakness, God will never give you an entrance in the heart of another person. But when you line yourself up and you say, Hey, Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness or meekness, looking to yourselves lest you too be tempted. A gentle spirit isn't judgmental. A gentle spirit isn't bitter and resentful. A gentle spirit isn't filled with anger and rage at what another person's doing. A gentle spirit says, Hey, man, no, I do. I, I care about you, and I care what you're going through. We need to recognize our own weaknesses. Number two, we also need to realize the damage that it causes. And you know what? You don't have to be a Christian to understand this. You don't have to be a Christian to relate to what's going on in our culture today. If you can help a person understand the damage that's caused, I mean, man, stop and think about it. First Peter 2, let me give you some examples. Number one, emotional damage or distress. Sexual misconduct outside of what God deems as acceptable is damaging to people emotionally. There's no other way you can get around it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Emotional damage. Man, I talked to a friend who had an affair and it's just destroying him emotionally. I've talked to single people who have sex outside of marriage and they got, they're destroyed emotionally because they're bringing all this baggage with them into this new relationship. They're bringing stuff from their past into their new marriage. They're bringing things that are dragging behind them because of things that they did in the past. It destroys us. It wages war with our soul, man. It rips us apart and just tears at our heart and our soul and our mind and everything, man. We're just struggling with it. Realize the damage that it causes. When you help a person understand that, man, you know what's emotionally distressing? Like a story, a true story of a man who was at a seminar. And he was there for the weekend and he was looking out and there was an organ. They were looking over the coastline and he was talking to the guy who was leading the seminar. He said, man, oh, look at this. It's beautiful, isn't it? That was the guy from the seminar saying this to this other gentleman. And this other guy goes, yeah, it's really pretty. He goes, well, man, it seems like something's bothering you. What's the matter? He goes, well, you know what? It's like I can't even enjoy myself. No matter when I'm away from home, I can't enjoy it at all. He said, why not? He said, because I know what's going to happen when I get home. I'm going to get home and my wife's going to ask me a thousand and one questions. Who are you with? What did you do? Where did you eat? What, what, what did you do on your free time? And she's going to ask me all these questions. And then the last kind of question is going to be, and who can I call to confirm all this that you're telling me? He said, man, well, what's... He said, well, you know what? It was on a trip like this, just like this one, that I met her while I was married to my first wife. Oh. Oh. What happened here? What happened was she couldn't trust him anymore. Although he said yes to her and said no to his first wife, she's thinking while she's at home, if he did it once, he may do it again. 
And so you see what happens with this emotional distress, man. It carries and follows us everywhere that we go. And it's critical that we recognize this. Let me give you a story for those of you who are single and, and, and you're having sex outside of marriage or you're thinking about it, contemplating or whatever. I want you to listen to this because it's a true story. I had a gal come to me and she said, I got a problem and I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on? She said, I don't even know where to start. She said, first of all, you need to know I'm a Christian and, um, and I chose to do what was wrong before God. I knew what was wrong, but I struggled with it for a number of years. And I was living with my boyfriend. We lived together for four years. And I'm a teacher at a Christian school. She goes, so every day I go to school and I tell these kids what to do, what's right, what's wrong. I know the difference between the two. And then I go home and I do exactly the opposite and I do the wrong thing. And it's killing me and I can't live like this anymore. It's emotionally destroying me. It's waging war with my soul. She didn't say that, but that's what was going on. I said, well, what's, what's going on? She said, so I finally got to the point, I went home and I told my boyfriend, I said, listen, we have to get married or you need to move out. Now, what was complicated by it was the fact that they already had a three-year-old three daughter from this relationship of four years. So he says, okay, I'm moving out. So he moves out, and she's there with the daughter. About a month goes by, the little girl got sick, something was going on, she needs some information about medical insurance. So she tried to find him, and he was stationed at a, at a local uh, marine base and called through the base and got hooked up with him. Telephone rings, lady on the other end answered the phone. She said, is so-and-so there? And she said, no, he's not here right now, but he should be back home, you know, probably in an hour. Said, well, who's calling? She said, who are you? Well, this is his wife. Who are you? And she went, uh, I'm sorry, this is his wife? Yes, this is his wife. Oh, and then they got into a long conversation about who she was, who the wife was. They had three kids. They have three kids that are all there at the base. Um, make a long story short, so he comes back to her and says, listen, what are you doing calling my home and trying to destroy my marriage? <laughs> and she said, hey, I didn't know that you were married. You just happened to neglect that little detail. And the way that his work shift was, he could lead a dual life and it never caught up with him until she drew the line and said, this is the way it's going to be. Anyway, here's the problem. She says, well, you have a responsibility. You have a daughter and I need financial help with the daughter. And he said, look, I'll tell you what. You want financial help, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight for joint custody. We're being transferred to Virginia. I'm going to fight and take her away from you for four to six months every year. So here's what I'll, I'll work out a little deal. You forget about the financial support and I'll forget about joint custody and we'll just call it even. Whoa. So she does a little more background, finds out this guy did the same thing with a woman in Florida, same thing with a woman in Georgia, same thing they think with a, wo a woman in Germany. This guy was, you know, he, he was a sociopath that he preyed on women like this. And you know what? And, what was, and what's the bottom line of all of this? Here's what she realized. God loved her so much that he said, don't have sex with anyone outside of marriage because I'll tell you some of the reasons. It's emotionally distressing. It'll destroy you. And not only that, but guess what it'll protect you from? If she would have said no to him, I'll guarantee you that he would have went and found somebody else. And she never would have had to live with everything that follows. It's devastating. Do you realize how much God loves you when he says, don't do something that's for our own benefit and our own protection and our own safety? That's how much he cares about us. And it's easy for a parent to tell that to a kid. Don't you understand how much we love you? We're trying to protect you from everything that we can see and you can't see, but you still want to go ahead and do it anyway, don't you? Oh, man. 
How about physical disease? Doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. Realize the damage that sexual misconduct has? Physical disease? Are you kidding me? What day goes by? I mean, the Bible is clear. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. It tears you up. It rips you apart. Physically, it destroys you. Whether it's physical disease or impotency and all the rest of the stuff that goes along with it, man, I mean, it just rips you up. It's insatiable. You can't get satisfied. And what's bad about it, I mean, what, I mean, think about this. Is it lack of information? My goodness, there isn't a day goes by that somebody's not in the news talking about how they got the HIV virus. I mean, it breaks my heart, and I've got to applaud Tommy Morrison for the stand that he took, and, and, and I've and I got to thank even the LA Times for publishing his, the entirety of his speech. But let me just share this with you. And for those of you who haven't heard, he was a heavyweight boxer, a one-time champion of the world, was a, a leading contender, discovered this past week uh, that he's, he, he had contracted the HIV virus that leads to AIDS. He said this, I lived a permissive, fast, reckless lifestyle. I hope I can serve as a warning that living this lifestyle can really lead to only one thing, and that is true misery. I've never been so stupid in my life. I thought I was bulletproof, and now I know I am not. If getting up here and confronting this problem out in the open can get just one person out there to take a more responsible attitude towards sex, then I would feel I scored my biggest knockout ever. I thought the real danger of contracting this rested in the arms of those who subjected themselves to a certain kind of lifestyle, addicts who share needles and people who practice a homosexual lifestyle. I honestly believed I had a better chance of winning the lottery than of contracting this disease. I have never been so wrong in my life. The only sure prevention of this disease is abstinence. In a simple statement that I hope none of us will ever forget, it's abstinence outside of marriage and fidelity within it. That's it. He went on and he said this, you know what? And to all my young fans, I would ask that you no longer see me as a role model, but see me as an individual who had an opportunity to be a role model, but I blew it. Wow. Physical disease, marital difficulties, doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. I'll guarantee you right now, if you've got a person that's ever been in a situation where a spouse has been unfaithful, it's going to mess things up. Not only will it mess it up if you've committed adultery, but it's going to cause problems if you've brought baggage from another relationship into your new marriage. And, and that's just the way that it is. Spiritual defeat. Spiritual defeat. Stop and think about this. I mean, gee whiz. You know what? I'm rushing. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stop. Because I think it's critical when you look at all these things that we recognize this is what we need to do to confront it. And if nothing else, at this particular point, since we're out of time, here's, here's the, the one thing that I want to make sure that we understand. When dealing with people who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do not be sidetracked by their lifestyle, but help them to see that their lifestyle is what will help them to understand that they need forgiveness. Stop dealing with the symptoms in people's lives, but get to the root cause and the root problem. And then, only then, can God free him from that behavior. And only God can forgive him from that behavior. And only God can give him the strength to live a life that's pleasing to him after that and subsequent to that. But we need to stop dealing with symptoms and start dealing with the root problems. And then we'll have an entrance into their life. And then we can talk about the rest of the stuff next week when we get together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. We just thank you for the truth that we see in your word. God, help us um, to relate to it as we look at people around us. Help us to be sensitive to the fact that 
but by the grace of God, there goes I. And may it change the way we approach people. May it change the way that we deal with people. May we have a gentle and meek heart and spirit as we confront them because it's best for them, just as a parent and a child knows, that we want to do and protect our children. We want to protect our friends. We want to protect those that, that we love from the dangers that are involved with sexual misconduct. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.